Hello, this is Pastor Bob Gray. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast here at Emmanuel Baptist Church of Longview. I trust the services will be a blessing to you. If I can do anything for you, please let me know. You can find our information on the website at ebclongview.com. Let's go right into the services of Emmanuel Baptist Church. Enjoy God's Word. Amen. Boy, think about that. You have a friend that failed, it's gone, no longer serving. Maybe if we would more fervently pray for our friends, we wouldn't lose so many. Powerful song, thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Emily and I have enjoyed immensely being here this week. You have treated us royally, uh, much better than I deserve. And uh, thank you so much for all that you've done. Thank you for the privilege of having a part of this conference. I have, I've enjoyed being with, with all these missionaries. It's just amazing how God has knit our hearts together. It, you know, it's, that, that is part of the nature of, of being a child of God. You can, you can be with someone for just a, a few days and it's like you've known them all your lives or all your life I, uh, and we feel that way about these folks the Joneses and, um, and the Barnes and the Sages and uh, not so much Ethan but uh, <laughs> no Ethan's a good sport we've had it we've had a good time had breakfast together today I thought I wasn't gonna get anything to eat but uh, <laughs> It was, uh, it's been so good. Um, Emily and I talked the other night about having a part in that citywide crusade. And we're going to, the Lord willing, we're going to do something. We're not, our dates didn't line up this year. Uh, but we're going to, we want to do something. We want to have a part in that. My dad started a church in 1951 in Waxahachie, Texas with eight people who were saved in a John o. Rice citywide crusade. I was saved, that he started that church in May of that year. I was saved in September of that year. So I'm the product of a citywide crusade and God touched our hearts and we really, really uh, do want to do something about that. Daniel chapter 3, please. Daniel chapter 3. You are very acquainted with this setting here. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar set up a statue and uh, issued an edict that um, at the sound of certain musical instruments, everyone uh, would bow down and worship the image. <clears throat> and uh, some liberal politicians got together and accused three young men of defying the king's edict and disrespecting him. They did not disrespect him. Uh, they just d decided not to participate in idolatry. And uh, in verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, 
Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if you worship not, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said unto the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And I want to talk to you about the first three words in verse 18. But if not. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you've done in our hearts this week. And uh, I thank you for the way that you have uh, allowed Emily and myself to become acquainted with uh, these great men of God and great missionaries, these families that uh, so willingly are uh, going where we cannot go and uh, serving where we cannot serve and reaching people that we will never see this side of eternity. I thank you for Brother and Mrs. Barnes. Thank you for uh, the way you've knit our hearts together. And uh, I pray, Father, that you would help us to partner with him uh, in such a great endeavor. What a burden you have given him. And may that serve as a spark to uh, ignite a flame and the hearts and minds of uh, other servants of God to reach these cities that are absolutely under a cloud of spiritual darkness. Now bless the next few minutes, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. By the way, Mrs. Barnes was uh, Emily's dorm supervisor when she was in college. And... Uh, how many demerits, Sunday did she did you say? She, <laughs> anyway, moving right along. Very few of us actually know what it means to live by faith. Now, that's not a criticism. Uh, it's just an observation. Most of us do not have to live by faith. Uh, most of us have a degree of security uh, in the lifestyle that uh, in which we live and also most of our service to God is conditional I'm afraid that much of what we do for God is in response to something that God has done for us or in anticipation of what we think or what we assume he will do or what we think he should do or what we think he has promised to do and when God does not measure up to what an immature Christian thinks God ought to do, uh, he becomes frustrated and discouraged, and he often retreats. Too many Christians 
feel disillusioned by the way they think God has treated them. And we might not admit it, but very few Christians are pleased with what God has done in our lives or as pleased as we let on. Many of the casualties in the ministry and the lives of active Christians are due to frustrated expectations, assuming that the Christian life will do what it is not designed to do. The basis of the Christian life is not what Jacob did in Genesis 28:20. Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house and all of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give thee a tenth. Boy, how can God turn down a deal like that? Jacob is saying, now God, here's, here, here, here's the application form. Uh, fill this out. And uh, if you come up to my requirements, then uh, you can be my God. And I will, I'll, go, I'll go one step further. I'll give you this rock that you made. And then I'll give you a tenth of everything that you give me. It, when you put it in terms like that, have you ever heard anything so absurd? God had already promised Jacob blessings beyond belief. He promised to bless his descendants, to give him the land that he had promised his grandfather Abraham. But poor Jacob just could not accept or he refused to understand what God was offering him. God had made Jacob promises of eternal blessings and Jacob settled for clothing and food and money and a return ticket home in peace. In other words, he was saying, Lord, I just don't want any problems. Well, if you don't want any problems, uh, you're looking at the wrong kind of life. God promised Jacob immortality, but Jacob is saying, that's not enough. I want more. I, I don't want to wait. I want it now. Do you know salvation is not enough for some Christians? Heaven is not enough for some Christians. Some Christians will find something to complain about in heaven. And if they can't find anything to complain about, they'll complain because they don't have anything to complain about because it's their favorite pastime. Raise your right hand. Raise your right hand. Look at each other. See how wrinkled it is because you've been sucking on it? We live, we live in a time, we live in a day of world-class thumbsuckers. Victims. It's somebody else's fault. God's love is not enough for some Christians. God's presence is not enough for some Christians. A name written in heaven is not enough for some Christians. Now remember, Jacob is the prototype of the carnal Christian. 
He is not a worldly Christian. There's a difference between worldly and carnal. He is a carnal Christian. Carnality is not necessarily what we think of as worldliness. Carnality is limiting oneself to what can be seen, felt, and reason. The carnal Christian doesn't necessarily drink or dance or commit adultery. He may not, he, he may come to church on Sunday. Uh, he, he, may, he may not even be a 49ers fan, but I'm going to preach the Bible whether you like it or not. But he does not live in the spirit. He is not sensitive to, spiritual, to the spiritual or the eternal. Ephesians 4.19 says he is past feeling. He limits his life to the temporal and the earthly. When he makes a decision, he does not consider the eternal implications, only the immediate temporal. He is a pragmatist. He is a superficial spiritual relativist. He makes no provision for the spirit. He measures his success in terms of the visible. He bases his joy on the tangible and he loses blessing after blessing because he is not willing to obey God and trust God for the outcome. He is constantly seeking to avoid the unpleasant and the uncomfortable, the costly, that which risks his image. And if God does not produce when and how he thinks he should, he is disappointed and he concludes, well, it just doesn't pay to serve God. If by a certain time or a certain day God doesn't produce, I'm through. For that kind of Christian, God is always on trial. God is always on probation. How presumptuous. How can man demand performance from God. And how many Christians lose blessing after blessing because they, they have their eyes on trinkets. We exchange gold, silver, and precious stones for wood, hay, and stubble. And the sad thing is that's the way many, if not most Christians live. And this is no way for a child of God to live. Now with that in mind, I want you to look at these three words in Daniel chapter 3. But if not. That should be the basis of our faithfulness and our commitment and our service to God. My God shall supply all your need, but if not, I'll serve him anyway. By the way, God will supply all my need. He may not do it in the way that I expected him to or when I expected him to, but God does supply what we need. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. But if not, I'll serve him anyway. Thank you. <laughs> By the way, all these things shall be added. The problem may be that God's list of all these things is different from my list of all these things. I doubt that God's list of all these things includes a Corvette. My list of all these things includes a Corvette. One of the, I, I pastored Mount Union Baptist Church for 34 years. One of my greatest disappointments was they never bought me a Corvette. And I left hint after hint. I told them if I had a Corvette, I could make a lot more visits on Saturday because a Corvette goes faster than a minivan. They never got the idea. My last day as pastor, one of the, one of the men brought me a beautiful 
metal uh, model of a Corvette. It's on a shelf in our house. And he said, you can never again say that we did not buy you a Corvette. <laughs> Give and it shall be given unto you. But if not, by the way, it shall be given unto you, just maybe not like you expected. Call unto me and I will answer thee. But if not, by the way, he will answer. May not be the answer you expected, may not be the answer you wanted, but he will answer. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, but if not, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And then there are Christians who make deals with God. Lord, if you'll give me a place to live and money to maintain my present lifestyle, I'll give my faith promise. If I don't have to miss any good TV shows or football games, I'll go soul winning every once in a while. Preachers make deals. Uh, God, if you'll give me a building and money to live on and a good wife to wash my socks and people to follow me and a community where I'm appreciated and friends in the ministry that admire me and lots of people saved and baptized every Sunday, uh, deacons that love <laughs> de <laughs> de <clears throat> uh, the Lord shall be my God. After, after Jonathan took our, I never, I never had deacons. I had men who served as deacons, but I, I never, I just never did ordain deacons. I, I, I don't know why. So when Jonathan took the church, he said, dad, I, I need deacons. He said, these people grew up with you. You're like their dad. I'm like their little brother. And, uh, he, he said, I, I need some men to, to, uh, to, to help me make decisions and, and back me up. So he taught on the office of deacon for, for four Wednesday nights. And that fourth Wednesday night, he passed out uh, uh, sheets of paper with, with 14 spaces on them. And he said, I want every member of this church to, to write down the names of no more than 14. You don't have to write down 14 names, but no more than 14 names of men that you think qualify as deacons. He took those names and he put them in a database. He eliminated the ones that he knew that did not qualify for, for, for deacon. Uh, he came up with 42 men, the names of 42 men that he felt like would qualify for deacons. So that next Wednesday night, he took that list of 42 men and he said, I want you to check the names of no more than seven men. You don't have to check seven. And don't, don't check the name of your buddy that you, you want. These are, these are men that you've, you've heard the qualification of deacon. These men are men that qualify for deacon. So he, the, the, he, he took the, the seven that got the most, uh, uh, most votes and those are the 70. I think he has nine now. He's added two. A few weeks later, he said, Dad, I just, I enjoy working with these men so much. They're such a blessing. He said, why did you ever have deacons? I said, I don't know. I said, I never had deacons and I never had cats. And I don't know why I never had either one of them. <laughs> <laughs> how, many, how many pastors have come to Soul Winning Clinic or gone to pastor school or some other great 
soul-winning conference and returned to their churches and tried soul-winning, concluded it didn't work, so they shut it off. You don't go soul-winning because it works. You go soul-winning because you are commanded to go. We are to go soul-winning whether the church grows or not. Now, if we do with the people that we win what we ought to do, the church will grow. But you don't... That's outcome-based education. That is, that is, that is results-oriented service. We want results. And if we do what we're supposed to do, we will have results. But we ought to do it whether we see the results or not. What we should say is, Lord, I'm going to serve you wherever you put me. You give me an ivory palace or a shack. People that love me or hate me, if I have food to eat or die of starvation, if my buddies admire me or make fun of me, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. Has no scar, no hidden foot, no, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand. I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascending star. Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers spent. Lean me against a tree to die and rent by ravening wolves that compassed me, I swooned. Hast thou no wound? Yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me. But thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wound, no scar? I've heard men say, well, if God give me a job so I don't have to work on Sundays, I'll go to church. No, it doesn't work that way. You quit whatever is keeping you, eliminate anything in your life that is keeping you from doing what you know you should do. Serve God like you know you should serve him and, get, and, and, and trust God to give you a better job. But if not, And still Christians threaten God. God, if you don't do such and such a thing, I'm, I'm going to quit church. Why, why blame God for your lack of faith? Do you really think that makes God feel threatened? Do you think that withholding your tithe because you don't agree with the way things are being handled at the church. Do you really think that, ha that threatens God? You, you, you think God is up in heaven uh, uh, rubbing his hands together wondering what in the world am I going to do if so-and-so doesn't tithe? It's like saying, I, just, I, don't like the, I don't like the way the light company provided my electricity last month. I'm just not going to pay my bill this month. <laughs> Boy, they're going to sweat, aren't they? Now, you know what's going to happen. You're going to be watching television by the light of a candle. A little slow. It's, 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 they're, they're tired. They're, they're tired. When are we going to learn that God knows what he is doing? That outward circumstances are never a reliable barometer for what God is really doing? We need to reread Romans 8:28 and especially that phrase all things work together for good. You need to look at that thing that is happening in your life that seems to make no sense. 
and every adult in this room has something in his or her life that just doesn't make sense. It's not working out the way I thought it would work out. And it's not right. But you need to look at that thing and say, this is for good. I don't understand it. I don't know how God could use it to help me. I don't know why it's necessary. I don't know why God could not have used something a little less unpleasant to teach me what he wants to teach me or less painful or less costly than this. But I know he is using it to help me. I know it has potential to help me. By the way, Romans 8.28 is in incomplete without Romans 8.29 and Romans 8.29 refers to the good of Romans 8.28 as being made conform to the image of his son. And you're not going to be like Jesus without hardship and difficulty and pain and sorrow. Spoiled brats never achieve greatness. Suffering, hardship, trials, difficulty open the door to greatness. And those four things are all, could almost be classified as un-American activities. No Calvary, no empty tomb. No bear, no lion, no Goliath. No betrayal, no pit. No sale into slavery, no Potiphar's house. And Joseph never becomes prime minister of Egypt. The road to greatness always goes through the valley. The highway to success is paved with obstacles. And those difficulties are not there to destroy us. It is what we do to avoid the difficulties that destroy us. It is our tendency to expect God to do what we think he ought to do, how we think he ought to do it, that robs us of the strength and the faith that are necessary in order to please God and in order to be greatly used by God. Faith is not what you do when God does what you expect him to do. Faith is doing what you ought to do when God does not do what you expect him to do. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fully expected God to deliver them from the burning fiery furnace, and he did. I think you should fully expect God to provide for you abundantly and bless you. I think you should expect him to get you through whatever it is that you're struggling with right now. But if he doesn't do it the way you expect him to do it, what are you going to do? You're going to make your faith promise commitment tonight. And you've been taught you are sowing a seed. And God will bless that. And God will prosper you when you give to him in an obedient way. But what if you do that for a year and your finances are in just as bad a shape as they are now? What are you going to do? Every year in our Faith Promise Missions Conference, I would tell people, you give your Faith Promise offering this year, 
And if at the end of the year God has not blessed you, God has not prospered you, you come to me and I'll pray for you. I'm not going to give them any money back. They didn't give the money to me. See, that's the fallacy of the health and wealth prosperity gospel. They promise you what God does not promise you. Read the biographies in Hebrews chapter 11 and show me in there the prosperity gospel. Show me there that for every dollar you sow in this ministry, God will give you $10 back. That is not in the Bible. And that is not what your pastor is promising you if you give to Faith Promise. What he is promising you is that this church will take that money and they'll send it to a missionary that is going to take the gospel to someone that you cannot take the gospel to. And that is the bottom line. If there were no ins- and by the way, God will bless you. God has blessed Emily and, and, and he's blessed our finances. Our, our faith promise now is way beyond our tithe. And God has blessed us. He, we were praying for something just recently or have been praying for, for several months about something. And God absolutely in a moment in the, with a stroke of a pen answered that prayer and provided that need. God will do that. But the truth is a mature Christian does not need to be incentivized by wealth and prosperity and, and, and financial gain to obey God with his or her money. Maturity, spiritual maturity does not make me give. Spiritual maturity makes me want to give. God loves the cheerful giver who is giving not in order to gain himself. He is giving in order to please God and to obey God with what God has given him or her. These missionaries that you've heard this week, they're they're not here for themselves. If they had what they need to get to the field and do what they're that God wants him to do the field, they would not be here. This is not what we're about. Well, it's what I'm about. It's not what they're about. <laughs> they're about getting the gospel to people in Zimbabwe and Scotland and the Philippines and Mexico and Northeastern United States. I love this country. Don't you ever doubt the patriotism of a missionary. We leave this country not because we do not love this country. We leave this country because we love this country. And I believe that the thing that has sustained the blessing of God on this nation is two things. Number one, our support of Israel. And number two, this has traditionally and for centuries been the greatest gospel exporting country in the world. And when your missionary goes to the mission field, he is participating in sustaining the hand of God and his blessing on this country. 
I have two cousins in Providence, Rhode Island. I witnessed to one of them, and he said, I, I'm, I'm really not interested. I said, if you die today, you're 100% sure you go to heaven. He said, I'm really not interested in that. I said, one of the, he said, it's not important to me now. I said, one of these days it will be important to you, and when it is, you, you call me, and I think I can help you. I, I want to go see if we can win my two cousins to Christ. Okay, just brace yourself and listen to this. It ain't going to work out. <laughs> Things are not going to work out like you think they're going to. I, I heard Brother Howell say one time, I thought when I got to this age, stage in life that I'd, I'd just be clipping coupons and enjoying life. And I wouldn't be, he faced the, he faced the biggest battles of his life at the end of his life. We have two lawsuits that we're dealing, have been dealing with for seven years, trying to recover property that was nefariously taken from our ministry. I didn't think I'd be involved in something like this. Old men are not supposed to do that. We're just supposed to enjoy life at the end of our lives. It ain't going to work out like you think it's going to work out. And when it doesn't, what are you going to do? What, how is it going to affect your faithfulness and your commitment and your dedication to what you know God wants you to do. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the podcast of the sermons from Emmanuel Baptist Church of Longview. We trust that the sermons and God's word was a blessing to you and yours. Please visit us at ebclongview.com. If we can do anything for you, please let us know. Have a great day.